Welcome back to another week of Blossom Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed, and always joining me, my man, up in Pittsburgh, Mr. Wally Lukashensky. Wally, how are we doing this evening? Man, I had a good weekend. I got to go out for the games on Sunday, come back. Raiders win, Buckeyes win. Overall, just a great weekend. Unfortunately, no Buckeyes this next weekend. But see, you're down in North Carolina, Stephen. How are you doing right now? I'm not doing too bad. North Carolina going raise up. Take that shirt off. Just around your head. Similar to a helicopter. So I, I can't complain. Uh, I'm staying at my friend Haley Raffles' house. So shout out to Haley, who 1,000% does not listen to this podcast because she is not a huge football and gambling gal. But she lives 30 seconds from a Bojangles. I'm easily about to gain 15 to 20 pounds in this week and a half, two weeks, and I'm down here. And you know what I'm doing a lot of? drinking especially for getting right into it the hair of the dog week nine recap we're going right to atlanta where the denver broncos here have you heard this before stop me if you have almost came back against the atlanta falcons the falcons almost blowing the lead allowing the broncos to score 21 fourth quarter points but man you stop me if you've never heard this before atlanta held on and they ended up coming coming out with a W in the home stadium. Matt Ryan, 25-35, 384, and three touchdowns. But that's about it. Drew Locke finally stopped dancing. I know you're happy about that, Wally. See, I'm still trying to get a read on Drew Locke. He's not exactly a guy that comes off like a world beater right now, but he's played really well in second halves the last few weeks. So be it, he's been down three scores in both of them when they come back, and defense are a little soft, so... We'll, we'll see going forward. There's a lot of promising bits on this Denver offense. And, I mean, otherwise, yeah, this, there's a reason this is in the hair of the dog category. Neither one of these teams look like they're going to make it too far. But, I mean, hey, it's an entertaining game on Sunday. Now, speaking of entertaining games and people that you are rooting against, miserable game here for you. Detroit going to Minnesota. Detroit who, at least going into this game, I, I thought they were poised to go on a little bit of a run, chance to go to 500. They lose by two scores this week. Minnesota wins 34-20. to 20. They ran it down Detroit's throat this entire game. 275 yards, 206, just for Dalvin Cook alone. With the way the new uh, format of playoffs might be going, these two teams might be in a potential to get into that spot eight. Steven, right now, what was your takeaway from this game? And if there was the unfortunate thing of there having to be eight teams in the playoffs, would either one of these teams be potentially that team for you? If it would if it would be one of these teams, it would be the Minnesota Vikings. Dalvin Cook just been going off last week against, you know, the team that I root for. Well, two weeks ago, then last week against the Detroit Lions. So 369 yards and five touchdowns the last two weeks. They're almost looking like the NFC version of the Cleveland Browns. They have they have a quarterback that they're expecting way more out of, but now he's a game manager, and they're just handing the ball off to their to their bell cow running back. Dalvin Cook in this case, mixture of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the other case. But this Vikings team is something else. That defense really isn't as scary as what we're typically used to. That running offense is dangerous. And we know that they can throw the ball, so that's still always an option. Bears, Cowboys, Panthers, Jags the next four weeks for Minnesota. This three and five team can all of a sudden potentially be seven and five, six and six. This is going to be dangerous. And like you said, with that eight spot potentially opening up, depending how on the NFL is going to react with the coronavirus, it's going to be absolutely insane. But nothing was more insane than this New York Giants and Washington football team game. Am I right, Wally? 
That was a sloppy, sloppy game that the Giants came out victorious. Kyle Allen dislocating his ankle. Ended up not being as bad as people were thinking on that tackle, which was not not a pretty sight. I don't know what type of curse is going on in Washington, but, man, I would hate to be a quarterback for that football team right now. Alex Smith coming out, 325, a touchdown, three interceptions. He is named the starter moving forward. Well, it's just another sloppy game. Do we need to look anything into this? Surprisingly, with Washington losing, they are still second spot in the NFC East. Yeah, it is crazy to think that this could have been a matchup that put Washington within half a game of first place. That's how bad this division is. It's crazy to believe that. I mean, what it comes down to in this game is, yeah, unfortunately for Kyle uh, Allen, yeah, losing another Washington quarterback to a leg injury. There's something wrong with FedEx field. But whatever, the weird juju, it's not there. But you turn the ball over five times and nothing, you're going to lose. I don't care if you're at home, whatever it comes down to. You fall back, you lose three, or uh, you lose by three points to this Giants team. Now, I heard this stat earlier in the week, which is crazy to me, but Daniel Jones has won one career game against any team not named Washington. He is 4-0 and against the Washington football team, which is an unbelievable stat. Uh, I guess read into that how you, however you will. But no, man, I'm not I'm not worried about this game. This is a throwaway. These teams are dead in the water. I know it's only a game and a half, but a game and a half to these kind of teams, that's like three months of football to get two wins sometimes for these kind of teams. So no, I'm absolutely not uh, looking into this game for any more than face value. Entertaining as it was, similar to the following game. Speaking of entertaining, the Houston Texans. Go to Jacksonville, and they win by two points against the Jags, who had a chance to tie the game with a two-point conversion with less than two minutes left. It fell short. I mean, this is another one of those situations. It's clear as day why this is in this segment, hair of the doll, or hair of the doll, hair of the dog. There's nothing here. I mean, I keep every week talking myself into this as being the week the Houston Texans finally show that they have a franchise quarterback. They take that next step, dominate a team like Jacksonville. But yet again, even without Bill O'Brien, this team just leaves so much to be desired. Will Fuller has a great game. Deshaun Watson has a solid game. And they're still only winning by two against a team like this. The Jaguars, I'm, I'm not even going to ask you a question about them. We already know that they're dog shit and they need to basically have three drafts real quick to get better. What's the answer for this Houston Texans team right now? And why are we not seeing the most out of Deshaun Watson at this point in time? Well, I can tell you what. The answer was not trading away DeAndre Hopkins. That is for damn sure. I don't know what the answer is at this point because the only thing I can see is this team just cleaning house. J.J. Watt doesn't want to be there. He's clearly stated he does not want to be in a rebuild. The weapons that Deshaun Watson has around him is just they're great. It'd be a lot better with DeAndre Hopkins. Could you? I guarantee you that they could have snagged Brandon Cooks and have DeAndre Hopkins. As a matter of fact, they definitely could have. And then you trade for David Johnson, who ends up going out in this game early with concussion in the first quarter. So that already throws a wrench right in your plans. You're relying on your second, your backup running back. Still, nonetheless, it is Jacksonville, and they were starting rookie Jake Lutton. I'm sure everyone that's listening to this knows exactly where Jake Lutton went to college. Dude put 304 yards up and a touchdown. They're not, they're not expecting that, but still, 
it's the Jaguars for them to even be this close. And they only they only lost because, like you said, they have the two-point conversion that they failed to attempt to tie the game. Literally zero seconds left. So Houston allowing the Jacksonville team like this, it's an absolute dumpster fire. The only reasonable answer is to clean house, bite the bullet that you just lost to Sean Watson. It's a Kurt Cobain situation. You kind of just shot yourself in the face. So, you know, you got to kind of know what's coming to you at this point. We're going to flip it to New England and New York because there's really no good segue into this game because this game was so fucking miserable to watch. I had money on this game and I went to sleep early instead of watching the end of this game. New England needs a game-winning field goal at the end to put away the New York Jets 30-27. to Jets suck. Check mark. We got we threw their name in the podcast. Let's go on to the next one. This is the first win in a month, a little bit over a month for that New England Patriots team. Cam Newton finally somewhat coming alive with 274 yards of passing, only 16 rushing yards, but two touchdowns to come with that. Can we finally just stop talking about Cam Newton? I know I say it every week, but I just love not talking about Cam Newton or talking shit about Cam Newton. This Patriots team is done. We'll get to who we think is going to possibly win that division. What do the Patriots seem to do the rest of this year instead of taking up our time on Monday night? Well, first of all, the only thing I will say about the Jets is Joe Flacco and Frank Gore were playing a primetime football game in 2020, and that is just the biggest back-to-the-future feeling I've ever had. Bizarre to be watching a game and do the double-check, head flip up, and you're like, did I hear Flacco to, to Frank Gore? That can't be right. But... This game, if anything, for the Patriots, it just told us how far away they are with their current construction of this team. You're down by 10 points in the fourth quarter to the New York Jets, who this New York Jets team, they can't score more than 10 to 13 points against anybody. All of a sudden, they have 27 free three quarters. I mean, credit to Joe Flacco. He had a decent game, but man, this Patriots team's a long way away. I don't have an answer for him right, right now. All this screams to me is... This is a Patriots team that is very ready for the offseason. Finally a year where they might be able to draft in the top 10, and who knows what that means for Bill Belichick. But this was a disaster. I mean, the only thing I can say is that I guess credit to the fight. I mean, if you're down seven in regulation and win by three less than two minutes later, but that, again, it's more of a testament to me of how bad and how far away the Jets are than anything the Patriots did. And I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just such a terrible division. I think it's and you, you. We give it a pass a little bit, purely because the NFC East exists right now. The AFC East is a, a dumpster fire in its own right. I don't care what the Dolphins' record is. We'll get to them here in a minute. But yeah, you asked me what the answer is. The answer is the the off season because this there's nothing happening right now, even in in the next two months that's going to help this team out. All right, well, fair enough. I'm glad that we got through that. Now I'm starting to feel a little bit tipsy after those first few sips being hung over on a Sunday, getting ready for the game. So we're going to open it up to the big boy drink. That's right. That's an IPA. Um, it's actually Miller Lite, but we're going to tell people it's an IPA. So people think I fucking party. We got the week nine recap, and we had a lot of fun games. A couple games I had a scratch in our head about particular teams. We're going to head out to the desert where Tua Tagovailoa. Tua Tagovailoa. Going up against Kyler Murray in a battle of potentially the future? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Tua's all of a sudden 2-0. 20 of 28, two touchdowns. But Kyler Murray stole the show offensively. 387 total yards, four touchdowns. 
But at the end of the day, the Dolphins are 2-0 with Tua as a starter. They've won the two games against NFC West opponents. Hands down, the strongest division that we have in the NFL right now. Arizona's offense looked amazing, but just could not get it done. Wally, I'll pose, I'll pose this question to you. Are the Dolphins going to make a run at the AFC East division title against the Bills? They're only one game back. Honestly, no chance, in my opinion, if that the Dolphins can catch the Bills. I'm a huge Brian Flores fan. You guys have heard me nonstop about him, even before this season, talking about how I felt like he could have been a coach of the year candidate last year, purely for putting a decent product on the field with the roster he had. This is just an extension on that. This is a, a another week back-to-back here in a row. We've seen the Dolphins getting significantly outgained, completely outplay our their defense has been struggling, but one thing I will give that defense credit for is they have had the timely stop, the timely turnover that has allowed them to win. But I just don't think it's very sustainable right now. I like the Dolphins' future. I think that they have even an outside shot to make the wild card, especially as we alluded to earlier, what the potential rule change being that there might be eight teams if COVID does wreak havoc on the latter part of this season. But no, I, I don't see them making a run at the division title. But I do I know that I know that Seattle, they lost this week. I know they have the lead right now. I think Arizona has a legitimate case that they might be able to catch the Seahawks in the NFC West. This is a team that they have stolen the show. Sorry, you go ahead. This is so glitchy, it's killing me. I know, I was going to I was going to go into it. Agreed. Wally, I'll stop you there. Arizona's next four games, Buffalo at Seattle, at New England, and against the Rams. That is going to be a huge stretch that's actually going to have us figure out, is Arizona that team? Because they are very streaky. We were all on them when they were 2-0. We hopped off that real quick when they went to 2-2. Two two. We hopped right back on when they were 5-2. Then they lose to the Dolphins. We're still in that purgatory. We're in that midway point of deciding if we want to take the Cardinals. These next four games are going to determine if we can take them serious or not. For the Dolphins, that defense is something else. That's back-to-back games with a defensive score. And that has been the difference maker for Tua. No, yeah, you're completely right. This next four games means a ton. And I, we have been wishy-washy on the Arizona Cardinals so far, and for good reason, until they can consistently good or consistently bad performance. I will continue to be wishy-washy. But as it sits right now, coming off of a loss even, I, I still think that this team's got a little bit of a, an edge right now with how well Kyler Murray's taken his step this second year. And obviously, DeAndre Hopkins has made an enormous difference out there. And this offense is obviously a different beast with him on the field. And who knows? Seattle, uh, they have their own issues to worry about on defense, which we'll be getting to here before long. But speaking of issues, you can find them all over the field. Has a 10-point lead against arguably the best team in the NFL right now, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who is 7-0 entering the game, now 8-0. 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. They melt down yet again. Does this game tell us anything about the Steelers that we need to be worried about? Or is this another one of those patented year-to-year Mike Palmlin games where it feels like the Steelers underperform against a very lackadaisical, very bad, gross, there's nothing good to say about Dallas team? (laughs) Finally, it only took nine weeks, but I finally have a correct point. 
The Steelers love to play to the level of their competition. They've been sticking my own foot in my mouth this whole year because they've been playing great ball. And this is what I've been looking for. They always, always have a game like this. So I'm going to shift it back to agreeing with you. This is that Mike Tomlin gritty game midseason. They they have it every year. This is that game that's going to – it's a it's a kick in the ass as much as it can be without losing the game. And it's perfect. You go to Dallas. You go to Jerry World. That's about it. There's really no other excuse. It is the fourth quarterback that Dallas is playing with. You guys have an amazing defense. And Garrett Gilbert throws 243 yards and a touchdown on not only that, but the Cowboys outran the Steelers 144 to 46. If anything, this game tells me that A, the Steelers can the Steelers are the Steelers. They just won an ugly game. Every good team wins an ugly game. They're 8-0 for a reason. Catch us next week and see how that goes. But man, is this Dallas Cowboys team making Dak Prescott richer and richer? By the game. I mean, this man. This Dude. man's about to sign a four hundred and fifty million dollar contract. Fact. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this team has been a shadow of what they've been since, like Dak was there. I mean, when Dak was there, this team was scoring forty points a game. This was arguably their best offensive performance since he's been gone. And I hear the defensive Steeler fans right now. And I don't think that you're deliberately trying to dog on them whatsoever. I think you're right though that there have been those games in years past. But they've also, this year, you find a way to win this game. When Big Ben has been completely banged up, he took that gritty hit early in the, uh, the game where he injured both of his knees. We'll see how he goes forward. And you get to see how much of a leap back that offense took in the three plays or four, whatever it was, Mason Rudolph came in and looked like he did last year. There's a reason this team went from 8-8 eight and eight to 8-0. Eight with Big Ben back. Big Ben is a shadow of himself, a shell of himself. The numbers look really good if you just look at the stats, but he's nothing like he used to be, and he is still 100 times the quarterback Mason Rudolph is and the replacement is on this team. James Conner had a career day for, for his standards, nine rushes, 22 yards, 2.4 yards a carry. That's uh, basically <laughs> – sorry, I didn't even deliver with the straight face. I saw you crack up. <laughs> Averaging 2.4 yards a carry, so – Obviously, Big Ben doing good things down there to manage to uh, to, to get a win out. But keep, keep your eye on this Steelers team. I think that the best is still yet to come. This is just a weird game. You move on. You get past. Now you have an extra, an even weirder game this next week. You're going to play the Cincinnati Bengals and Joey Burrow in his first attempt to play. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I think that this game is going to be a lot more indicative of the character of this Steelers team. Could not, could not agree more, Wally. So that's why we're going to keep it in the division. The Baltimore Ravens shutting out the Colts in the second half here on their way to a nice, impressive win. A nice, complete win. There's nothing that really stood out here on the stat sheet. Yeah, the Baltimore defense scored a touchdown. Lamar, 19 of 23. A buck 70, 13 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. This is just a very complete game with the Ravens. The Colts are the Colts. Phillip Rivers is looking old, back to throwing 43 passes, pass attempts in this game. I remember a couple weeks ago when we were like, man, this guy's only throwing 20-21. Remember that first week he threw like 48? And now he's back back on his bullshit, Phillip. No condom on, ready for that number 10 kid. That's going to have to wait here. The Ravens are shutting him down. Ravens have lost... One game in the past month and a half. They also just set a NFL record of 31 consecutive games with 20-plus points scored. Yet they have no Super Bowl to look 
to look back on. The only question here, the Colts are the Colts. We're not worried about them. We'll harp on them a little bit when we're gambling on the Thursday night game. The thing that's sticking out to me the most, Lamar Jackson, we're expecting to be seeing a huge progress being made here in the passing game. Lamar has 1,500 yards, 62% completion percentage. At this point last year, he had 1,800 yards passing and 637 yards rushing. At this point, he has 469 yards rushing and slightly above 1,500. Is Lamar not making that leap that people were expecting him? And are people finally starting to catch on? Because as you saw the report earlier, Lamar was talking about how these defenses are calling out the offensive plays. So first thing I'll say is, yeah, I believe that teams are catching up to Lamar Jackson. He is going to need to make that leap, and he's yet to make it in the passing game. This team is loaded all around. If there's ever a place for him to develop, it is with this Baltimore Ravens team. So I'm not going to panic yet. They're still winning games. They're winning games against good football teams. They're not winning against the elite teams. That's been the hang-up for the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not going to press the panic button yet, but it's definitely something to keep your eye on because this offense has taken leaps and or giant leaps backwards, uh, just completely fallen off. They're not running the ball nearly well, even beyond Lamar. J.K. Dobbins, who they brought in, Gus Edwards, who they brought in, thought those guys were going to be huge additions in the rushing game, 12 for 30 and 11 for 23 on Sunday. The Indianapolis defense is very good, but that didn't stop this Baltimore team this last year when they were tearing up everybody and their mom on the way to the postseason and fell short. I am going to just kind of press pause. I'm not going to overreact one way or another on them for the time being. The Colts, they have an interesting stretch coming up here too. They should make the playoffs. They're a good enough team to make the playoffs. You have either the Dolphins or the Browns who are going to, or the Raiders have to fall off for them to, to play or to make the playoffs if they per, continue to perform well. I think that'll happen more likely considering now with the potential eight-team COVID playoffs. But as it sits, they are five and three, and uh, they're going to have a, a big couple games here uh, th- this next few weeks to potentially put them back into the top wild card hunt. Speaking of wild card hunts. You have the Chicago Bears. Your Chicago Bears, Stephen. Five and four now. Fall short. Honestly, it wasn't that close on Sunday. They were down 24 to seven, score a few points late to make it look like a more competitive game. Titans are six and two. Get a little bit back on. Soviet, he didn't have a great game. Derrick Henry, 2168. 21 carries, 468 yards. But you have guys like Tannehill and A.J. Brown picking up the slack for them. Was this a get-on-track game for the Titans? Or are we finally seeing the Chicago Bears are the frauds that we thought they were? I think it's a mixture of, of a little bit both. I'll start with the Titans here first. The Titans, you know, lost the you know lost the game last week against the Bengals. They're like, who the hell is this team? I think this is a great bounce-back game. They're turning around and playing again on Thursday. So they're going to have a two-games, two ten-day span to get them right back on track, and they're going to get more rest as if they need it because of all the COVID shit that was happening here prior to the season. So the times are going to be looking good, keeping Derrick Henry healthy. That offense is still so – I think that offense is dangerous. I think that's a top-five offense in the league because they never unlock everything all at once. It's either they're going to pound you with Derrick Henry or they're going to surprise you with Ryan Tannehill. There's going to be a game where Derrick Henry is going to have 150 yards rushing. Tannehill is going to have 350 passing. 
and then we're going to realize how dangerous that this Titans offense could potentially be. Now we'll slip it over to the Bears. They are exactly the frauds that we that we thought they were going to be. Nick Foles, flaccid Foles, as I like to put it on there. 36 of 52. This man passed 52 times for 335 and two touchdowns. Now I will get I will give Chicago this. If you look at all these, if you look at the team stats, all the stats on paper, Chicago should have won this game. They had twice as many first downs as Tennessee, 22 to 11, 375 to 228 total yards that Chicago had the advantage over. But Chicago, the two turnovers, one of those getting returned for a touchdown, really fucked you, as well as being two for 15 on third down. If you want to have a good offense and be able to win some games, you're going to have to do a little bit better than two for 15 from the third down. That defense will allow you to be set up to win. But your offense just can't simply get it done. And I love it. It is fucking hilarious to watch. Adam Alfonso, I don't know why you, I don't know how you can consistently have confidence in a quote unquote quarterback in your system because they're all piss poor. Well, well, Nick Foles had 300 plus yards on 52 attempts. That's like that's that's like when we were all pumped that Kobe had 81 on like 60 field goal attempts. We get it. It's awesome. But he but you ain't Kobe. As Draymond said, you ain't Kobe. We ain't love you like that. And a person getting a lot of hate right now. Tom Brady getting bent over Drew Brees' knee for the second time this year and getting absolutely spanked. Drew Brees with 222 yards, four touchdowns. Tommy throwing three interceptions against this New Orleans Saints defense. Tom Brady, his two games this year against the Saints, 45 of 74, 60% completion percentage, 448 yards, two touchdowns, five interceptions. Tom Brady has as many interceptions in the two games against the Saints that Dalvin Cook has rushing touchdowns. The last two games this week. It's so clear that the Saints are the kryptonite for the Buccaneers, correct, Wally? And all of a sudden, are the Saints just going to be the favorite to win the NFC South? And are we finally finished sleeping on this team? See, I I was so high on the Saints going into the year. They were my pick. I was all about them winning this division. And I jumped ship very early because without Michael Thomas, Drew Brees kind of looked like he was a, a, a shell of himself. He was washed. Drew Brees looked washed. With Michael Thomas back, it wasn't that much different. What I saw this weekend or on Sunday night instead was the New Orleans offense being allowed to do whatever they want because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played soft. I don't ever ever understand this. When you have a defense as talented as this Buccaneers defense is, to literally sit back and basically play bend, don't break. Bend, don't break against a quarterback of Drew Brees' stature, Drew Brees' intelligence. Uh, maybe they are their kryptonite long term, but I still think that this Bucks team. I mean, there's too much talent on this offense. Every time I think Tom Brady's dead, it's been going back for five years. He turns around and he makes everybody like myself look bad. So I'm not going to quite say that this is a uh, that the Saints are now the favorites. I think that I would still say the Bucks have the narrow edge. But they have to figure it out. I mean, they are six and one outside of that or outside of this series with the Saints this year. And here's another thing. Tom Brady, Tom Brady for the first time in his career, got swept by a divisional opponent. That is 
absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I think the second longest streak, I want to say Joe Montana I saw, was at 13 or 14 seasons opposed to Brady's 19. Yes, the AFC East has been terrible his entire career, but what a testament that is to how great Tom Brady is. And who knows, the most fitting way for that stat to be broken might be for the Bucs to get the Saints in the NFC playoffs and see Tom Brady get his revenge there. But speaking of getting revenge, the Green Bay Packers traveled west to play the San Francisco 49ers. Or let me rephrase that. The Ghost of Christmas Past version of the San Francisco 49ers. 34-17, Stephen. I'm not going to take up too much of your time here. 49ers, yeah, banged up, but this was a much-needed win for the Packers. And all of a sudden, here you go. The Packers have a two-game lead in the NFC North. Champagne bottles should be popping already. This division's over, no? You never know. It's the Packers. They can always blow it. I've seen them blow way too many games and way too many leads. This was a nice game for Green Bay. This is a nice bounce-back game. Aaron Rodgers, four touchdowns. There's definitely some ghosts guarding Devontae Adams because that man went off. And I don't care who's guarding that. You got the best corner in the league or corners playing for San Fran. Devontae Adams is going to go off on you. And, I mean, he 10 receptions, 173 yards in a tutty. Looking great. There's really nothing too much on this game to be proud of. Green Bay's not dominating the way that they should be, especially against good teams. So this is definitely the year that they can take advantage of the weak defenses of the NFC outside of clearly the Saints and clearly the Buccaneers that was causing them problems. So really nothing to see here about the Packers. Good job. Got a dominant win against a shit team. Sweet. It's going to look good next year when when you have the difficulty of schedule that ends up coming out because that was a team that was at over over 500. It's just a cushion game. But man, oh man, grab your cushions for this game. The Raiders beat the Chargers after two stops. Two stops at the goal line, pretty damn close. This Raiders team, Derek Carr, he's not putting up a crazy number, 165, two touchdowns. But Devontae Booker and Josh Jacobs combining for 22 carries, 136 yards and two touchdowns. Justin Herbert is that man. He's great. But Wally, congrats on the win. It was nice. Fought all the way to all the way down to the you know, those three zeros are on the clock. How do you feel about this win and finally getting that first real look at Justin Herbert? How do you think he's looking for the Chargers? I'll start with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. I'd be very fired up if I was one of the 18 LA Charger fans in the country right now because Justin Herbert has it. He has it. You talk about those guys that just have that something different about him. He just, there's this aura about him while he's on the field. He's got a very impressive arm. He's already reading defense as well. So be it anybody can read a defense when you're playing the LA or the Vegas Raiders defense. But credit to him. I think that Lynn or whoever made that call at the end of the game, consecutive fade routes from the goal line. First of all, they should never have been in goal to go with seconds left. Horrible clock management on the Chargers part to even get in that situation. But to throw two fades is fireable at the end of the game. And in, in very impressed. Like I was amazed. I, I thought for sure that the game was over in the second one. So my heart going from four and four to five and three, it feels really different. That's a huge difference. You you all of a sudden you go from 
four and four in the in a very heated wild card race to five and three, right in the thick of it. But with your schedule finally easing up for the Raiders, and you're right, Derek Carr's numbers did not look all that impressive if you weren't able to see the game. If you did see it, you saw two bombs completed by Derek Carr, and then he dove headfirst into a defense on third and ten, midway through the third quarter that completely flipped the entire game on a scoring drive that put them up 11. This was a very gritty win. I don't know if the Raiders win this game more than once or twice out of ten times. It was a matchup problem from the word go, but I'm confident. This is all of a sudden a team now. you got Denver going to Allegiant Stadium this next week before you get the Chiefs again. You want to be 6-4 and four coming out of there. If you're 6-4 and four coming out of there, look out. This Raiders team is much better than people think. This offense is for real. Defense is a joke. But hopefully now you have guys getting a little bit healthy. Damon Arnett coming back, getting healthy. Nick Witowski finally being 100%. Hopefully we get to see that defense take the next step and hopefully at least be competitive on Sundays. But yeah, this week they were outgained. The Raiders were outgained 440 to 320. But all that matters is they weren't outgained 444 to 320. They held at the end. The Raiders move on. I'm very high on life. Hopefully, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting ready to get hurt, Stephen. I'm very ready to get hurt. I'm prepping to get hurt. And it's probably going to be in several weeks here when the Kansas City Chiefs, who on Sunday held off a ferocious comeback attempt by Teddy Bridgewater, Christian McCaffrey, and that Carolina Panthers team, Record really doesn't feel like very indicative on how talented this squad is. They're three and six now. They're much better than that record. But unfortunately for them, even with eight teams, I think they're running out of uh, daylight. But it's a team I think going forward we could be excited about. As for the Chiefs, they're finally clicking on all steams ahead. It seems like they're finally kind of getting into that. Hey, we got to turn the switch on. It's that LeBron playoff mode that everybody jokes about. Hey, it's time to flip the switch. It feels like the Chiefs are flipping the switch right now, and I don't think I'd want to play them. I Obviously, I don't want to play them, but there's not a team in America that wants to play this Kansas City Chiefs team, especially once we get into this December and January. What were your major takeaways from this game? Does this say more about the Panthers and how competitive they are, or was this almost similar to the Steelers, where this is a game where we're like, you know what? This is a game that very easily in the past the Chiefs would have lost. They found a way to get it done, and that's all that matters right now. Yeah, I'm going to start with the Carolina Panthers. That's a team that surprised me. I was not expecting them to to be, honestly, this talented. I wasn't expecting Teddy Bridgewater to make an impact like this right from the get-go. Carolina's looking very fierce. When they have that fully healthy roster next year with Christian McCaffrey through that. This team could be someone to watch for in this division, especially with an aging Drew Brees that's inevitably going to leave, as well as Tom Brady who's going to leave, and Matt Ryan who is that feature is always up in the air, it feels like. So this Panthers team is fun. They kept it close. I mean, granted, we did take Carolina plus 10.5 against the Chiefs in this game, but I'm still very surprised that they made it to the point where they missed a field goal to win the game at the end. And that's the only way that the Chiefs were able to come away with a victory. Now, as for the Chiefs, this team is as dangerous as we thought. We've been talking a lot of shit about them in a two- to three-week window when they just simply weren't getting it done offensively. They were getting it done pretty enough offensively as we're, what we are used to seeing for Kansas City. But this team is right back on it. Pat Mahomes throwing four touchdowns, 372 yards for him. This man is dangerous. We already knew that. 
And I mean, I feel bad for you, Wally. I don't have to explain that to you. You got to play them twice a year. So you already know how, how much you hate him and how good he is. But yeah. So I think the Chiefs, they're going to start rolling here. This is a sight that we do not want to see. A sight that we're not used to from last year. Because remember, Pat Mahomes was hurt during this time last year. So now we're going to start seeing Patrick Mahomes and that offense get rolling and rolling like Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit, and it's going to be scary. But an offense that was rolling here on Sunday, which had me scratching my head, the Buffalo Bills put up 44 against the Seattle Seahawks. I guess it's not really causing me to scratch my head because that Seahawks defense is absolute dog shit. But Josh Allen putting up 415 yards on 31 of 38 passing and three touchdowns. Stephon Diggs leading or being his lead receiver at nine touches for 118 yards. This Seattle Seahawks defense is fucking horrible. On top of that, you have Russ throwing two interceptions, which he typically does not do. Josh Allen, 37 games prior to this game against the Seattle Seahawks, was averaging 198 passing yards per game. He more than doubled that against the Seahawks game, against the Seahawks defense and team. Bills are 7-2, and two, Seahawks are 6-2. and two. Are the Bills someone that we should be watching out for in the AFC and maybe a potential sleeper to come and take the Steelers or potentially the Chiefs or maybe the Ravens off the table? And how far can Russell actually realistically take the Seattle Seahawks? Well, first of all, I'll start with the Bills in the AFC. No. <clears throat> No, I do not see them as a reasonable threat to the Steelers or the Chiefs. Nothing Taking away nothing from Josh Allen and his performance on Sunday was outstanding. Seattle's pass defense is amazingly bad. Like, like it's genuinely remarkable. The Buffalo Bills rushed for 34 yards on Sunday. The Seahawks knew they were going to line up and throw the, uh, against them. And this is a team that has never been able to just line up and throw against anybody with Josh Allen at the helm. Man, it's time to start waving the panic flag out in Seattle. Six and two or not. All all it takes is running into a team that's going to give Russ a little bit of problems, similar to what this Buffalo Bills team did on Sunday, to knock out the Seahawks in the playoffs. It is going to take a pretty much flawless postseason run from what Russell Wilson to make this team a Super Bowl champion. Imagine them playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. They have to outscore Patrick Mahomes. What do you think Patrick Mahomes would do against the Seattle Seahawks uh, defense in a Super Bowl? I mean, he might end up being the first guy to throw for 500 yards in a Super Bowl. I I, I just... He's definitely ahead. taking the over in points in that game. That's for damn sure. He's like, I'm, I'm, oh, Seattle's defense, I'm easily putting up minimum 35, and that's because I'm thinking I'm only playing three quarters. You might literally see a Super Bowl in the high 60s for over-under if that game actually were to happen. And that's crazy to think about. Because a 35-32 game, that's that's 67 points. And I could see it being higher than that. You're, you're checking my math. 35-32 math, guys, 67. Check it out. Anyways, so, we'll go to... Oh, I- that's what I thought, Steven. And that stays in. And that stays in. And my voice cracked does too i hope you enjoy man. it man how many i bet you wish someone would tell you it can stay in. 
Well, you know what? That is besides the point. It does not apply. But the Seahawks will not stay in the playoffs either to go off what we are saying. And that's enough right now. That's it for the week. We have all that. And, Stephen, you know what time that means it is. What the hell's going on out here? And we know what time it is, Walter. It's the time to get the bets. Here last week. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, Wally. Your boy here, I went six and seven last week. That means I lost you one bet. So I'm sorry about that. And I'll make it up to you this week. But Wally, Wally going to clean seven and seven. He had an even day. He he was competitive during the one o'clock games, and then the four o'clock games really fucked him. And that is gambling in a nutshell. If we're all professionals, we'd be out in Vegas making hundreds of thousands of dollars every single day. And having very, very hot escort wives. But we're not. So we're here. And you're listening to this podcast. So you're not. You're just as shitty as we are. We're going to go right into the bets. Wally has got his sports book up with FanDuel. He is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. or Pennsylvania. Legalized sports book. So he's able to pull that up. Ohio is not that far behind you. So I'm going to have my sports book pulled up. Not my sports book. I go through a bookie. I'll show you a little bit of the difference. As I grab my pen and paper. Wally, take it away. This is your favorite time of the week. Absolutely my favorite time of the week. We're going to start off tomorrow with one of the most exciting Thursday night games I can remember in a long time. Game with actual playoff implications. You have the Indianapolis Colts traveling to Tennessee. The Colts are a point favorite on the road for Thursday night football. I actually agree with the book. I think the Colts do win a very close game. I think they're able to slow Derrick Henry up enough. And that defense is good enough to win a defensive slugfest. You're going to see a score very similar to the uh, Titans-Bears game this last weekend. I think you're going to see the Colts win a game like 20-17. to 17. So Colts cover minus one and win outright. See, I have I have a pick on my book. Mm. I like that. And I'm taking the Titans. I'm taking the Titans all day on this. I think that offense is going to – poise too many problems for that defense. The Indianapolis Colts have a good defense and they can cover everything. They have a great passing defense, good running defense. The Titans are not too bad. They have Derrick Henry and then we clearly know that Ryan Tannehill can sling the ball if that's either to A.J. Brown, maybe Corey Davis. I think this is going to be a fun divisional matchup. I'm going to go with Tennessee as a pick'em right now and I would, and if you guys have him as a pick'em, I'd take that. Take that all day. Houston is traveling up north to the city of Cleveland to face the Cleveland Browns. Deshaun Watson and the boys are three-and-a-half-point underdogs. The Browns get Wyatt Teller back, arguably one of the best young offensive linemen in the entire NFL. This is a tough one. Part of me really wants to say that the Browns getting Wyatt Teller and Nick Chubb back are going to, or is going to mean that they are going to run the ball at will, shorten a game, and in doing so, win and cover. The other part of me is thinking, we again, I keep falling into the trap. This will be the game. Deshaun Watson comes out of his shell. They jump up and upset the Browns. I'm kind of go with that feeling. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we look back on Monday and I'm an idiot. But I think the Texans go into Cleveland, extend this little bit of a losing streak. Browns are on. And I unfortunately, I think put the Browns backs up against the playoff wall here. Early-ish in the month of November, Houston wins outright and covers three and a half. See, I'm lucky. I I just had the three. I'm gonna take the. I'm gonna take I, Houston plus three on this all day. Absolutely. You know, Cleveland hasn't done anything 
recently for me to be confident in them. You know, they had very good offensive games against teams early on, but then they lost Odell. They even lost that game. If they had Odell, they lost Odell, and they just looked like they were lost out there against your Raiders. So I'm going to go with Houston on this. Houston plus three. Deshaun Watson's hungry to make his case to potentially maybe get traded at the end of the year. I don't know. And he has he has weapons. I know that we were dogging him earlier. He has, like, minimal weapons that I think is going to cause – Problems for that Cleveland defense. Outside of Miles Garrett, I'm not really too confident in a lot of who they have. I'm gonna take Houston plus three on this. Cleveland's a little bit in a, in a little bit of a slump since losing Odell. I was thinking that their offense was gonna take off with just Jarvis being on there, as their offense was looking better without Odell when it was just Jarvis. But this one is still interesting. The plus three, I'll take that all day. I feel like that's a game I'm either gonna win outright or I'm just gonna push on it. I don't see. I don't see where I where I could potentially lose. I'm sorry for all my Cleveland fam out there. I think that your cold streak is going to continue in Houston plus three. Now, this next game's a little interesting because it is between two garbage teams. But though the NFC East turns this game into a potential division deciding game, the scumbags from Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles, are three and a half point favorites going to New York to face the Giants. The Giants should have beat the Eagles several weeks back. If they did beat them, this is an entirely different-looking division right now. It would be the Giants with a lead and being up half a game over Philadelphia. They are three-and-a-half-point dogs at home against those scumbags. Eagles to win, but I think that they are not going to cover. I'm going to pick the Giants to cover plus three-and-a-half. Feels like that weird mo- moment where you want to like split the hedge, where you're going to pick the team that is going to lose, but not lose by enough. You're playing a gamble game, and that's what I'm doing. Is I'm going to gamble it, and I'm going to take the the Giants to cover, but the Eagles to win outright. What do you feel about this weird game? I'm going to take Philadelphia plus three and a half. If I know one thing, they at least know how to beat up on. The less fortunate of their division, the less fortunate outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, the whole yeah, the whole division looks like the orphanage in Annie. It's fucking miserable. And Carson Wentz is Annie. Just it's a hard night life for, but they're just absolutely, absolutely dog shit. This whole division is dog shit. I'm gonna take the Eagles plus three and a half at least. I'm gonna wait personally until that drops to three. You know how I love it. I'm either winning or pushing. And I, it's either Philadelphia winning by two scores or they're kicking a field goal to win at the end. So that's why I'm going to wait for that line to drop. I'm going to take Philadelphia plus three if it does end up dropping. For the time being, plus three and a half. Fuck it, I'll take it right now. Tampa Bay minus five going to Carolina at plus five. This is a question of does Tampa Bay rebound after a very humiliating loss on Sunday night or do the Panthers potentially without Christian McCaffrey yet again Find a way to get back into the NFC playoff race. I don't think they do, but I think it's much closer than people think. First time these two teams matched up, the Bucs ran up a score early, but late in the game. Panthers came back, made it close. Ironically, the game that CMC got hurt to begin with. I think the Buccaneers win, but I think that the Carolina Panthers cover plus five. This one, I'm cut. This one's very difficult for me. If CMC's in there, I would take this all day. Tom Brady is going to be hungry after that debacle 
that he calls a game of three interceptions against the New Orleans Saints. They cannot lose two games in a row, let alone two divisional games. If CMC was playing, I would take Carolina points all day again. But with without him playing, it's going to be interesting to see how Teddy Bridgewater is going to have that offense going again, especially after a close game that they just had. But this is this is fun. They both lost last week, but Carolina barely lost at the end. Tampa Bay gets embarrassed. So both these teams are going to be so hungry to be able to prove themselves. At the end of the day, that Carolina secondary is fucking god-awful. And Todd Brady should be able to have a field day with newly acquired weapon Antonio Brown. Then you got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronk. The list goes on between Leonard Fournette and Rojo 3. So I have Tampa Bay going minus 5 on this. Finally covering. Get the monkey off their back for this week. Now going to a game that nobody cares about and you need to bet on to have any interest on the game whatsoever. The Washington football team is going to Detroit. The Detroit Lions are four-and-a-half-point favorites. The one thing going in that makes this game any kind of intriguing for me is Alex Smith finally gets a start yet again. It's going to be hard not to root for the guy. Yeah, he's been able to play a few games. He effectively he played most of the game on Sunday after the unfortunate Kyle Allen leg injury because that's what happens to Washington quarterbacks in Washington. I'm going to ride with Alex Smith. I think it's going to be a really cool emotional story to see him get a win. And not only does that happen, they pull themselves then within at least a game and a half, potentially a half game out of first place. And all of the plus four and a half, them covering, they win the money line. They kill the Detroit Lions title, or they kill the Detroit Lions wild card chances. I take Washington plus four and a half. And money line at plus 172. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Washington plus four and a half on this as well. This is just a game between the two shitty teams in the NFC East and North. But this game means more to the Washington football team than it does the Detroit Lions. It's still going to be questionable if Matt Stafford's even going to be available this game. Between his COVID and his injury that happened here last week, we don't really know. And this Detroit team is an absolute dumpster fire right now. Every single year, we psych ourselves up that they're going to be something. At least you, Brock. At least you psych them up like they're going to be something. They end up just not really panning out. I'm going to take Washington plus four and a half on here. I think that this could be a field goal game, just like they played last week against the New York Giants. Thus, the the plus four and a half is going to help us cover. Hail to the football team. I like that. Hail to the football team is right. Now, speaking of your football team, the Packers are back at Lambeau. They're 12.5-point favorites against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Is there any way you can see the Jaguars covering? Because I personally don't see it. I'm going to make this real short and simple. The Packers win, they cover easy. It depends how Jari Alexander, their starting quarterback, is looking. He had a concussion went out in the first quarter last week, so that's going to honestly determine uh, how comfortable you're feeling with them covering. With that being said, I have I have Green Bay at plus 13, and I'm going to take them all day. Absolutely. There's nothing that this Jaguars team has shown me that should make me confident. I know that we were pretty high on their cornerback and some of their defensive players here early in the year, but overall, you're coming up to Green Bay. You're coming up to Rogers' neighborhood. I just do not – I do not see you guys coming out no less than down 14 at, 
as the end result in this game. Green Bay, minus 12.5, minus the 13. Fuck, I'd move it up to minus 14, just for shits and giggles, just for the odds to be a little bit better. But I will, what I will direct you guys to take a little side bet or a prop action on Devontae Adams' yards. Go ahead and hike that up. Touchdown, go ahead and throw a nice 50 to 100 burger on it. That's a lock. That is an absolute lock. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It, it's kind of scary. We talk about it every week how it's so tough to bet in the NFL when it gets to 10-plus points. But this is kind of a sneaky one where I feel like it almost could have been more, and I wouldn't have batted an eye. It feels kind of like, what, a 42-21 kind of game, doesn't it? If that, I could see it being like a 35-14 yep. type of game. For that- sure, but we're both in the same point. It's two to three touchdown game. The Buffalo Bills are traveling out on a second consecutive home game. They hope this time it's going to end in a better result against the AFC East contender they welcome in. They are two-point favorites against that Buffalo Bills team. I expect this to be a bit of a shootout, and so does the books right now. It is set at 56 for the over-under. I think I'm actually going to go with the Arizona Cardinals to win this game. I think that if they get up early, it's going to force that Buffalo Bills team to try to repeat last week. They have to win through the air. And I am obviously, if you guys haven't figured out yet, not super high on Josh Allen. And I have completely become a Kylo Murray disciple. So I think that the Cardinals win minus two. All you need, we talk about it all the time. All you need is a field goal then. Cardinals win minus two, cover. I think there's a chance, too, that uh, if I was going to bet it, I would take the over of 56. But I'm not touching that. What are you thinking over there? Yeah, the over is the over is fun. It's definitely sticking out to me. That's that's something I'll wait to drop a little bit. As for the spread, plus two plus two to the Bills is what I have as well. That one, ugh, I just want to stay away. This has one point game written all over it. I don't know what it is. I just have that feeling. This is like a 31-30, 29-28 type of game. And you're like, how the fuck did he even get to that? I don't care. I'm pissed or I'm happy because I took the Bills plus two or I'm pissed because I took the Cardinals minus two. Personally, I would wait until all of this shit drops. But for the sake of our show, I'm going to fuck around and take the Arizona Cardinals, the home team, minus two. It seems like right when we're ready to hop on or hop off on the Cardinals, we always lose that bet following. I think that we can finally get ahead of that curve, Wally, and get the right bet. I got Cardinals minus two at home against Buffalo. I'm absolutely ready to get hurt again on the Cardinals. Been kind of a trend right now. Oh, absolutely. But I'm, you know what? I'm a 16-year-old girl putting myself out there and getting heartbroken every other week and complaining to my friends about it, and I can't. Oh, absolutely. I buy into Kyler Murray being my guy every single week where I love to watch him play, convinced he's the greatest. Every time I do that, they fall flat. Every time I give up on the team, they show up. I'm ready to, like I said, maybe take that for what it is. I think the Cardinals win, so hammer the Bills. But speaking of getting hurt, the Broncos are going to the black hole out in Vegas through the Death Star for the first time. They're four-and-a-half-point dogs going against the Raiders. I feel like it's a trap because I feel very confident going into this game. And it's like the first time I felt confident going into a Raiders game realistically all year. As you know, I'm kind of super pessimist when it comes to these. But I think the Raiders are going to win this game. Cover is going to be tough, but I think they do it. 
Drew Locke has to prove that he can play four whole quarters of a game for me to be worried. I think the Raiders' offense is going to do enough that it will take a complete game from the Broncos' offense to upset the Raiders, and I simply don't think that happens. I think the Raiders win. I think they cover minus four and a half. And this this game, if the Raiders win, man, look out, because that's when it's going to start getting hard to deal with me. Six and three with the schedule they have in the back half, I'll be insufferable. So you might need to root for the Broncos to win to level my head out a bit. For the record, you're already insufferable. Can't fucking stand you. They're 2-0, and and you're ready to shove Derek Carr's dick so far up your ass, you can see the tip of it coming out of his mouth. Then they lost a little bit, and you're like, oh, I'm sad, Wally. Oh, and then they won one game, and you're like, oh, oh, we beat the Chiefs. Fucking watch out. So fuck off. With that being said, Wally, I love having you on here. I love doing this podcast. Thank you for everything you do on the podcast. Broncos plus four and a half. Drew Locke has just proved that he's the comeback kid. Sure, he didn't cover the spread last week, but the kid will never give up. He doesn't need to give you four quarters of football. He can give you about two and a half, and it's good enough to cover a spread in some games. I'm going to take it on this. You're never high on your Raiders defense. All of a sudden, you're very high against them against Drew Locke, who can can sling the ball. not saying that he's, you know, the second coming of Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, but you can put some points up. I think the Raiders are going to win. I take Raiders money line and Broncos plus four and a half on this. Well, I'll take the Raiders money line part uh, after all the negative things you said there because the Raiders are the best team in the league, but we'll move on. The team that the Raiders beat this last week, the best team in football beat this last week, the Los Angeles Chargers are traveling back east to face Tua in the Miami Dolphins trying to get their third straight win. And if they win this game, all of a sudden you'll have people like me completely flipping sides yet again and saying, look out, they're a wild card team. Who knows if uh, Buffalo goes out and loses in Arizona, might be having an entirely different conversation about this Dolphins team. But they're two and a half point favorites right now. I don't think they get it done. I have a weird feeling this is the game the Chargers are finally going to throw. Dolphins have had a couple games here that they arguably should not have won. Couple that with the Chargers have had a couple back to back games here where the game was literally decided inside the five as time expired and they lost both. I think they break through. Don't panic if you're a Dolphins fan, but the Chargers get, I feel like they're a very disrespected team because we look at their record. The Chargers are a good football team if they can ever figure out that you have to play the last 30 seconds of games on top of the first 59 and a half. But I'm going to take the Chargers to win and cover two and a half. Steven, what do you have? I'm going to take the Chargers to win and cover as well. Finally. I think this can finally be the game that Justin Herbert can throw up four touchdowns and the defense doesn't blow 16 or more points. But I don't know. We'll talk We'll talk on Sunday, Wally. See if I'm actually right. I would I would wait for this, the, for this line to move up. I'm very confident that I think the Chargers are going to be able to win this game. This is going to be the game that Tua chokes for some reason. He can't. He'll beat the NFC West teams, but then he'll lose to his first AFC West team that he faces. This Chargers team is ready. They they have to be pissed off at this point. All the games that they keep losing are so close. And Justin Herbert, I think, is going to ball against this Miami defense. Miami's defense has been looking good recently. Back to back games with with a uh, defensive touchdown. But I think that this is the game that puts two on his ass, makes them two and one. Justin Herbert finally getting that. Finally getting. Very, his second of very few wins that he's probably going to get this year. I'll go with the Chargers. 
plus two and a half on my book. I'm taking that all day. I'll also take a side bet when it opens up a little bit more of the Chargers total team points over on that. I'm going to, I'm thinking it's going to be anywhere from 21 to 23 points for that over. I'm going to hammer that over as well for team total for the Chargers, that is. Now, we're going to go to arguably what has become a top rivalry in the entire NFL over the last decade, decade and a half. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to Heinberg Steelers. Results have been lopsided. The hate for these teams is very, very equal. These teams hate each other. TJ Hushmanzada rubbed his foot with a terrible towel like 10, 15 years ago in a game. The Bengals' Twitter account posted it out there and basically broke the minds of Pittsburgh Steelers fans everywhere out here. I really think that this is going to be a competitive game for most of it. The Steelers are six-and-a-half-point favorites. But this is Joey Burrow's first crack at his arguably biggest rival in the division now. I know some Bengal fans will argue that the Browns are their biggest rival, whatever. I think it's going to be a very, very tight game for most of it. But that pass rush against such a bad offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals, I think gets it done for the Steelers. For the record, I don't know in our lifetime if I can finger point to a better front four than what the Steelers are trotting out there every Sunday right now. It changes games. When they pin their ears back, it's unlike anything we've seen in the past. You have to worry about Bud Dupree. You have to worry about TJ Watt. You have to worry about Cameron Hayward, who's arguably the most underappreciated interior defensive lineman in the last decade. I think the Steelers do eventually cover, but I think it takes a long time. This is one of those, if you bet Steelers minus six and a half, you are clenching your ass for 55 minutes of this game. I think you either get a late score to push it over or they're holding on against a potential backdoor cover against Joey Burrow and the Bengals. That game is going to be so interesting. This is where we can finally determine if Joey B is that guy. He's putting up a bunch of yards, but this Steelers defense, it's something else. And if you, if you want bulletin board material, Joey Burrow, circle what Garrett Gilbert was able to do against that defense last week, and you should be able to just skyrocket that. I'm hoping Joey Burrow has another 3, 350-yard game on here and make it interesting. But at the end of the day, I'm going to take the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know what? Fuck that. I'm taking the Bengals points, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Joey Burrow makes this team competitive, and fuck it. You know what's harder to overcome than a bigger than like a big loss is a win that they just had. Kick them while they're down. Yeah, they're going to go back to Heinz Field, and everything's all comfortable, but mm-mm-mm. Joey Burrow's coming in, and they're going to be sleeping on him just like they were sleeping on the Cowboys. Joey Burrow's going to come in, and not only is he going to ball out, but he's going to cover. They're not going to win, but fuck, they're going to cover. Well, i got to ask you off the cuff right now, Steven. Right out here in Pittsburgh right now, the local media over the last few days have been asking the question, because it's Bengals week naturally, who's the bigger threat long-term for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Is it Joey Burrow or Lamar Jackson? I want to hear what your thought is first before I give my answer. I'm going to go with Joey Burrow. And it it's hard because we have minimal we have minimal stats with both of them. But Joey Burrow straight straight out of college is has been a problem. Arguably what he's doing in the passing game is the problem that Lamar was creating with his running game last year. 
Joe Burrow can run. I'm not saying that he's going to sit here and run for over 1,200 yards and break that record that Lamar just set. But that man can run too. But at this point, I feel like it's almost inevitably clear that we'd rather have a pocket passer. Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson can run the ball, but man, can they fucking throw the long ball. That's what that's what everyone's loving on about Kyler Murray. He can toss that long ball, and then he sprinkles in the running. Lamar is, I can run, and I can sprinkle in the long ball maybe and be extremely average at it. I'm going to take Joe Burrow on this one. Joe Burrow is the future of the Bengals, and I'm saying it right now, he is the future of the AFC North as well. I could not agree more. That's very well said. This is this is a team that has no pieces on offense right now. The, let me rephrase that. The, the skill positions are great, but when you have to deal with such an inept offensive line, and he's been able to do what he's doing, throwing three, 400 yards almost every single week, this is the biggest and clearest test so far. But I 100% agree to me. This, if we revisit in five years, the Bengals are going to, to me, be the class of the AFC North. I'm going to bet on the best quarterback every time. The Steelers are going to have a very, very good defense for a very long time, but we'll see what happens once they replace Big Ben. I'm not selling them out here for the record Steeler fans that I'm going to hear from. Well, yeah, because I just the think, Steelers want to go for Dwayne Haskins, and you're all about I would, Dude, here's the thing. If I'm the Steelers, why why am I not packaging multiple ones to try to move up into the top five this year? If the Steelers could find a way to get a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence, if you have to mortgage the future to do it, with a defense like that and a rookie pay window a quarterback's going to have, you are opening an enormous window that you can compete with a Joey Burrow, a Lamar Jackson, with the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield. That's my thought. I, if I'm a Steelers GM, I am – really thinking about moving up in April. No, I actually could not agree with you more because you're talking about all those you know, all those rookie pay subs. Don't forget about defensively. You're going to have to pay Minka Fitzpatrick here soon. TJ Watt's looking for a payday. Bud Dupree's looking for a payday. Casey Hayward may be looking for that last minimal large payday at his position with his age. So, yeah, I could not agree more. I think that'd be very fun. And hell, can I go as far as maybe packaging Juju Smith-Schuster with a first and like a fifth round? Maybe grab a very high, high first round pick. Whatever it takes. That's basically where I'm at. Whatever it takes, if you find a way to get your guy from this class, it feels like Fields and Lawrence are the real deal. I'd be willing to sell the farm. But that's why I'm not a GM, too. And the Steelers aren't known for doing that. They're very conservative. But that's obviously enough Pittsburgh talk for right now. I will transition us into the San Francisco 49ers are traveling to New Orleans to play the Saints. Kind of a weird and gross-looking game that, I mean, it means a lot because the Saints are in the middle of a title hope or a NFC race for the NFC South, mind you. Sorry, excuse me. I think they're nine, minus nine and a half. I think that they're going to win, but I think you're going to get a better effort out of the 49ers this week, especially with a few extra days of rest. I think that the Saints do win, but I think that the 49ers do manage to cover. Yeah, I think the Saints are just going to fucking pop off against this Niners team. They have Michael Thomas back. They didn't have a great game against or with him against the Buccaneers. They didn't necessarily really need him, though. 
That game last week against the Bucks has Mike Thomas just running through the motions, getting healthy, and you know not arguing with his head coach and other coaching or other people on their coaching staff. I have them at ten. I'm taking New Orleans plus ten in the Superdome. It sucks because this game last year was fucking phenomenal. Then you look at then you look at it this year and it's and it's so piss poor. New Orleans plus ten. They're starting to roll. They're starting to get that confidence now. They got they got their star Michael Thomas. They finally have the receivers finally have eyes not on them and mostly on Michael Thomas. Emmanuel Sanders can ball. Trey Corn Smith can finally ball. Jared Cook can get open up a little bit. And Alvin Kamara is going to continue doing his thing. Saints plus or minus ten on this all day. Even if it moved up to 12, 13 area, I'm taking this. The Seattle Seahawks are traveling to Los Angeles to face the Rams and NFC West. Uh, I did not expect to mean too much at this stage at the start of the year. The Rams have far passed my expectations. The Rams are two-point favorites at home. Seahawks coming off a tough loss. I think I'm actually going to go with Russell Wilson in that Seahawks uh, offense to rebound. High-scoring game, though. It's only set for 55-and-a-half. To me, the here would be the over. With that being said, I would still take the Seattle Seahawks to not only cover, but to win. I just think that maybe I'm just too high. I think this entire team rebounds, not just him. And we're saying rebound as if he had like a career like low game. The guy threw for almost 400 yards and just turned it over twice. A lot of teams would live with that. But we're, that's how important he is to this team right now. I'm taking the Seahawks to rebound and win outright. I'm going to just stick with the over on this. Seattle, I'm nervous about. The Rams offensively are not really that sound or as sound as obviously they were when they were going on the Super Bowl run here a couple years ago. But that one, I have them at one and a half. I have a feeling that this game is going to drop to either a point or it's going to end up being a pick so I'm going to stick with the over 55 and a half on this one. I think that's a great line. This is this is just going to be a classic Seattle game this year. They're going to put up about 35 points and then give up about 30 to another 34 points. Come out with the win. The over, though. <laughs> the over on this, I think, is money. Like you said, Wally, 55 and a half. Hitting that all day. Absolutely. Let's go to the Sunday night game, which we were expecting to at least be a lot more. Can we at least be more excited for going into this season? Not so much anymore. You have the Baltimore Ravelin, Ravens, not the Ravelins. The Baltimore Ravens are traveling. What the fuck is to, a Ravelin? I don't know, but it's not them. That's the important distinction here. The Ravens are going to New England to play Bill Belichick and Cam Newton. Cam Newton and the Pats are seven-point dogs going into this game, coming off the win against uh, the Jets. Uh, I could even say that with a straight <laughs> face. Yeah, I mean, when you're trailing with less than two minutes left in that game, it literally took them three straight drives or scoring drives in that fourth quarter to win. Not a good look. I think I'm taking the Ravens to finally get that feel-good game of the season. All year we've been waiting for the offense to look like it did last year. I think this is the game that's going to allow them to at least get back on track and look a little bit more like what we're used to from the Ravens in the rush offense. I'm going to take the Ravens minus seven and obviously money line as well. I don't think the Pats really have too much fight left in this team. It took all of that they showed on Monday night to even get by a Jets team. I don't think that they managed to even hang around this Ravens team in this game. 
especially defensively. I mean, we were both high. We weren't very, we weren't really that high offensively what the Patriots were able to accomplish, but we both fell on defensively. They can at least be a competitive football team. Man, that defense is not what we were expecting. You're putting up, you're allowing the Jets with a backup quarterback. Yeah, but it's Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's elite, mind you. Is Joe Flacco elite? Well, fuck the only yeah. the only unibrow athlete that's elite is Anthony Davis. Going to stay that way. The Ravens minus seven Good. all day. Could not agree more. First off, even when New England had the number one defense last year, this team absolutely embarrassed them and covered this spread. This team is worse. This team is way worse than it was last year. Ravens minus seven. I don't even know why we're talking about this. Gillette Stadium has no meaning to it this year. Even. Even with Tom Brady and fans doesn't or without fans didn't mean anything. Now you have Cam Newton in that piss poor defense. The Ravens are gonna bowl right over this New England team. And next week everyone's gonna be talking about how the Ravens are they gonna be competing against the Chiefs now? Like we completely forgot about how the Chiefs just completely handle them every single time they play. Well, this is gonna be the game that everyone's reminded. Now, this Baltimore offense is somewhat dangerous and that we need to watch out. But then when it comes to January, they're just gonna choke and no one really cares. Ravens minus seven. Yeah, until they win a big game. Yeah, until they win a big game, I think we're all on the same page. We can't bet the Ravens. But to end it up here, Monday night football, your division rivals face off in a game that all of a sudden matters a lot more than we thought it would a few weeks ago, too. The Minnesota Vikings travel to Soldier Field. To play the Chicago Bears and what all of a sudden turns into a wild card competition, the Vikings are minus two and a half on the road. How far have these Bears fallen in the last few weeks? And the crazy thing is the way the Bears are playing, I think that it continues. I couldn't think the slide completely continues here. I think Dalvin Cook continues his very good play. Madison continues his really good play. The the whole I feel like the Vikings have finally found this team's identity this year, and it is run through that offense. It's not the eighty four million dollar man or whatever it is in Kirk Cousins. Vikings win, they cover in a very low scoring game, forty three and a half. I think I'd take the under in it. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is just a two year sixty six million dollar man now from the extension. That's neither here nor there. This is actually going to be a fun game. Dalvin Cook's been on the tear here the, the past two weeks. That Chicago Bears front seven and defense is fun overall. So it's going to be fun if, if they're able to stop Dalvin Cook and we're going to have to make Kirk Cousins pass the ball. Chicago's going to have to make Kirk, Kirk Cousins pass the ball. That's going to be an interesting game. Now, flipping over to the other side, Chicago Bears offense matched up with that Minnesota defense. My goodness. Literally is like the blind facing the death. Deaf. God damn, what the fuck? It's literally like the blind facing the deaf. And it's going to be fun. I have Chicago plus three here. At home. I'm actually going to go with Chicago. I have them plus three on my book. I'm going to take Chicago plus three at home. That defense was able to corral Derrick Henry as a whole last week, but then enters in Brian Tannehill. This Minnesota offense is way too reliant on Dalvin Cook right now where I don't think that they can offensively get it done in the passing game against that secondary of the Bears defense. So I'm going to go with Chicago plus three on my book at home for the time being. 
Well, wait, all right. Well, I've got one last one for you, Stephen, before we wrap up the bets. The New York Jets this week are plus six against the bye week. Well, who do you have there? Oh, I have to go with the bye week. There's nothing offensively that these these Jets have shown me that I should be confident. And let's be honest here. The bye week defense is absolutely shut down. They have yet to allow any yards or any points. So I'm going to go with the bye week plus six. And that is going to wrap us up this week on Loss of Down. Thank you for joining us on the Week 9 Recap, the Week 10 betting pool here. Catch us all on all social medias. We're at, we're on Twitter at Loss of Down. We're at Instagram at, at Loss of Down, as well as Facebook. Or hell, at Wally Lukashensky. Is that your Instagram name? Who fucking cares? At Stephen Weed underscore. And until next week, I am Stephen Weed. He is Walter Lukashensky. And we're going to make you some money this week, I promise. Uh, No, I don't want to promise shit. You know what? We're just going to make sure that you have a good time listening. Check us out here next week. And until next time, we are Lost and Down. Brooks Koepka to win Masters this week. Oh, that's your screamer this week, boy.